like to share some thoughts about compassion and about finding compassion that's already here. And open with the question for our reflection, what if you've discovered that actually, in your everyday life, there was already a profound and active source of compassion present in most or all of your thoughts and activities? I'll say that again. What if you discovered, what if we discovered that actually, in our everyday life, there was a profound and active source of compassion present in most or all of your thoughts and activities. Just open for a moment to wonder what that way of being would be like. Mm. For me it brings a feeling of warmth. Encouragement, confidence. And what if you could see and hear and feel how every single person around you, every single person you interact with is doing their very best to do good in any given moment. I really think that's what it means to be enlightened or to have real insight and wisdom. To be able to see that, to unwrap our motivations and our experiences and feelings and reactions and find the, the divinity at their core, which is ultimately positive, benevolent. In the Parashat Shavua, Parashat Vayechi, in this week's Parsha, the verse says, ויקרא יעקב אל בניו ואומר היאספו ואגיד אליכם את אשר יקרא איתכם באחרית ימים. And Yaakov or Jacob called to his sons and said gather round and I will tell you what will become of you at the end of days. And Rashi says ביקש לגלות להם את הקץ ונסתלקה שכינה ממנו. that Rashi uh, explains he sought to reveal the end to them, but God's presence departed from him. And uh, the commentators explore that. And, uh, and I think, I just want to consider for a moment, what exactly did he seek to impart? Because as the, the context bears out, he didn't actually share that with him. And I think it's instructive the word that Rashi uses, ketz, bikesh legalot lehemeta ketz, that he sought to reveal the ketz, because that same word is used earlier in Sefer Bereshit um, when, uh, when it says, vayikatz, vayikatz Yaakov mishnato, veyomer, achen yesh Adonai b'makom hazeh v'anokhi lo yedati. And Jacob awoke from his sleep, that's what that word means, katz, katz. Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Indeed, God is in this place and I, I did not know. That Yaakov had awoken to a certain reality which totally transformed his life. Afterwards, he wasn't the same person. And now, with the poignancy of his life coming to an end, 
as any loving parent would, he wanted to bequeath that insight to his children. To deliver a consciousness to them that they didn't yet have. And I imagine for the parents in the room, but really it's not limited to parents, friends, siblings, for anybody that we care about. We wish that our own sufferings and errors could save them having to make the same mistakes that we made, that they shouldn't have to go through the same things. And yet, that's not quite how it works, for better or worse. They weren't yet ready or capable to receive the message that Yaakov wanted to impart. The Orhamair of Zev Wuch of Zhitomir, one of the early Hasidic masters and students of the Magid of Mezrich, explains that Yaakov wanted to reveal to them the telos of their path, the end point, whereby they would all know exactly what they needed to do to be in perfect alignment with the pristine, pristine Torah, the Torah beyond ego and beyond corporeality, a very advanced level. And yet Yaakov was kept from doing this. And the Oromir says that we're each on our own journey, and on our own journey at our own pace. And we can't force somebody else's path. That's so hard, isn't it? <laughs> it's just a wish you could just, you know, just tell other people, but, and they can't hear it. They can't hear it. A big challenge for patience and acceptance, and also discernment, I think, about when it's right and when it's more about me. Or when I have to just be in my place of love without trying to force somebody to a place that they're not ready for. Hmm. I think one of the things he's saying as well is that we can't skip levels and stages in the path of spiritual evolution. Which is to say, somebody who is at a place of great enlightenment can't just tell us all the things that he's realized and then we kind of act them out like, when I started to learn about what equanimity was and then tried to kind of pretend to be equanimous by not really acknowledging that I was having feelings, which is just massively unhealthy and a big load of repression and, and bullshit. Um, and there's a term for that actually, they call it spir spiritual bypassing, where we try and, uh, or spiritual materialism both relevant terms, where we try and uh, bypass um, emotional issues by getting perhaps into blissful states of meditation as opposed to actually dealing with the things that we have to deal with in a healthy and holistic way. And along the path we have to build, we have to learn the contours of life and of our inner lives, emotional and spiritual, and not just act the part of one who has arrived, repressing thoughts and, ur and urges that arise because they are violent or dark. And that, and that actually, I think, is radically important because often we have an image or vision of how it'll be when we get there, you know, like when I've done more hundreds of hours of meditation or reached some kind of awakening, then I'll be X, Y, and Z. But as I uh, realized some years ago, when I caught myself doing something like that, there is just here with the teeth. 
So we might as well just be here and have a cup of tea. <laughs> we have these thoughts, maybe I, I do anyway. I'll have only loving and generous thoughts. I'll be basically a walking orb of light, and everything I touch will turn to gold. Now, I think there are some great tzaddikim in the world who perhaps have that kind of existence. I don't. Um, and, and I think there's also a danger in those visions. And that danger, in my experience, is that we actually villainize the darker thoughts. We label them as bad, and we judge ourselves for having them. And then we favor the pleasant and flowery states and shy away from what we have called the bad or negative emotions and thoughts. So I'm talking about anger, hate, jealousy, sadness, just to mention a few of our favorite pals. And the revolutionary approach is that those very thoughts, emotions, and attitudes, jealousy, anger, hatred, annoyance, irritation, impatience, they're not bad, they're actually like unpolished gemstones. And once we remove the dirt that has crusted over them, reveal themselves also to be luminous gems of great beauty and goodness. Hmm. In fact, as best as I can understand, there are no negative emotions. There's only unskillful ways of being with needs, feelings, thoughts, and emotions that arise. So anger, hate, jealousy, sadness reveal themselves when we investigate patiently and skillfully to have at their heart grief and care, hurt and desire for protection, or deeper yet, wanting to be happy and self-love and care, desire for fairness, for the world to be better, for connections to be more intimate, more alive, more real, yearning for greater vitality. And Baal Shem Tov says there are those who don't lit in any kind of extraneous or bad thoughts. And there are those who take whatever desire or so-called bad love or fear when it arises and they bring it into their avodat Hashem, into their spiritual work, and, and harness its inner power rather than avoiding it. And those are, the greater, those are the greater of the two, not the ones who don't let anything in, but the ones who learn to see what the core is and elevate that. Often when we think about cultivating compassion, we think of doing a compassion exercise, kind of like we did at the beginning, which I think is very valuable. But it's almost like growing a plant in our inner greenhouse. At the same time, we might not realize how ubiquitous compassion is already present in our inner lives and accessible if we learn to break down the compounds in which it's found. It's kind of like a contemplative digestive system where just as our physical digestive systems break down the foods that we take in in order to get access to their nutritious components, so when we activate our contemplative digestive systems, we learn to access, see, and feel 
the compassion and the emotions which keep coming up. And this is kind of a continuation of what we spoke about with the inner critic a few weeks ago, where we learned to see that underneath the harsh tone, which a lot of us often hear within us, is actually some need or desire for good, an inner champion or ally which really wants us to be good, to be happy, to do well, to get something which we deeply want. The Ora Meir quotes the Nuviya Shayao in an off-quoted verse about what the end of days will be like, or in a different language, about what could really be possible in our lives, in our world, in our society. And the world will be full of consciousness of the divine, just as the water covers the, the sea. The Baal Shem Tov wrote in a letter to his brother-in-law that it was this death, this consciousness, this awareness with which he was charged to spread to all of the world and which once he had spread to all the world, to all people, whose universality would herald the arrival of the Mashiach, explains as well in his well-known parable of the king and the palace that what really impedes that consciousness is the belief that we're actually far from the divine at all. That there is somewhere else to get there, to get to. That there will somehow be fundamentally different from here. When really, the big difference is, how will we relate to it? And if we want there and down the road in our lives to be different than it is now, to be a different experience, then we plant the seeds and cultivate them by relating differently to what's present for us right now. Sowing the seeds in our minds, making new steps to creating new neural networks of neurons of a different way of being, of different capacities of love, of patience, of generosity, of compassion, of understanding. Only when we experience wherever we are and whatever is before us, whatever thought arises in our practice or during the day, as something which keeps us from God, that is what itself what creates the distance. There's a question people say, how far is it from east to west? On the one hand, it seems like really opposite ends of the world. On the other hand, it's this far just turning our head. It's just changing the way that we look. Meaning, we don't have to get somewhere else to get to God, to get to ourselves. We just have to wake up to what's here. And you know, that's a, for me, that's a resonant concept, and sometimes I forget that it's not just a concept. What if we just stop right now, like Yaakov, who woke up, oh, oh, it's right here. And just notice what's right here without 
trying to fit it into something of our idea of what should be right here if it's right here, but just noticing what's right here. And what's our experience of what's right here when we let go of trying to manipulate our experience, trying to make ourselves feel something or to run away from feeling something else? Maybe a kind of spaciousness opens, a kind of softness, kind of aerates whatever is here. And even if there's something challenging, something uncertain and unresolved, there's a sense of, oh, okay. I can be here with that. And that's really the implication of the, of the Baal Shem Tov's teaching. If it's all divine, there's nothing to be afraid of. Can open to everything. Like something we've we've done in the past, imagining just the gentle holding of a baby, cradling a baby in your arms, a baby sleeping, we're very present, full of love, just holding, just doing that for our experience, for ourselves. And as we do that more and more, our ability to abide in it in ever greater and deeper fullness grows. Or Yaakov Yosef of Polonia, the, one of the main students of the Baal Shem Tov, quotes in the name of, of his teacher, the Baal Shem Tov, when a person knows that the blessed God fills all the earth with his glory and every action and thought is from him, with this knowledge, he quotes from Psalms, it paldu kol all workers of iniquity are scattered. So the work here is really about, about noticing what's present and being in a place of acceptance with it. And then there's an, another, uh, another piece which is really trying to discern what's, what positive motivation is at its heart. So the Maggid of Mezuch says, the principle is that all that a person sees and hears and all the occurrences which happen to him, they all come to awaken him. Whether it is a something concerning love, fear, tiferet, netzach, etc. Either it comes to him during prayer, a bad deed, which he did, which comes before him in his thought, in order to be healed and elevated. Meaning, maybe we did something we regret, or we feel like it wasn't right to do. And it presents itself to us in our mind with an opportunity to explore, well, why did I do that? What, what need, what fundamental need was I responding to in doing that? So we're not getting into a blame game or shame or guilt. But really trying to connect to the foundation, to the root that we were responding out of. And perhaps explore what a more skillful response would look like. He says, the, Ma- the Maggi continues, and this is like a parable of one who looks into a mirror who sees his visage reflected back. Thus his deeds come to him in thought. 
Or, he says, if not in prayer, letters from the original shattering come. He means the brokenness of the as yet unelucidated parts of life which present themselves for clarification. And he needs to discern whether they are letters from love, fear, or their other attributes. This occurs both during prayer and at any time. Sometimes a person is scared of something or creature. Everything comes to him to be raised. So the Magid says, as I'm understanding him, everything comes to awaken us. And he lists this Firot, which is a particular way of seeing and categorizing the different modalities through which the divine manifests into the world. Or in simpler language, everything is part of God, and it's our job to see how everything is part of God, how every, to see the godliness in everything which comes into our lives. It doesn't mean it's always a pure reflection. It doesn't mean that there's not change or correction to be made. Or that what everyone does is okay. So we have to find what that is. Meaning, not just to spin a story about it, but dig, listen, open, invite, feel. Feeling really helps. And exploring depths of feeling. And ask, well, why am I angry? What other feelings are present? Am I hurt? Am I afraid? Am I sad? Am I embarrassed? Do I really want the world to be better? Do I want people to be happy? Why am I feeling really frustrated with this person in this conversation? And perhaps the realization comes, oh, my annoyance is actually a form of the sense and intuition in me which knows there can be profoundly filling and supportive friendship and intimacy in relationships. Rabbi Nachman, in, in his most famous Torah, Torah, Torah Resh Pebet in Nikotei Moran, says we have to strive to find the Nikudat Tova, Nikudat Tova in ourselves and in other people. So yesterday when I was biking on the sidewalk in the evening and rang my bell so the older woman who was in front of me would know I was coming, and she erupted at me about, why, why aren't you riding on the street? And it was dark, and I didn't have a light, and I kind of got off my bike to try and hear her and share that, but she wasn't very interested in, in that. Um, and just to, you know, just for me, to, the effort was just to see it's actually not personal or anything to do with me, and she was terribly suffering from who knows what past experiences or current experiences in her life, and just wanting her comfort and solace and safety and and just to be happy and just have compassion for that. There wasn't anything I could do to to reconcile with her between us, but at least within myself to have that and to have an intention or tefillah for her for her relief. We say the Shema every day, we say Shema, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Achad, attesting to the ultimate unity of the Divine. And then we say, V'yafta et Hashem Elokecha b'chol avavcha, b'chol nafshacha, b'chol meyodecha. And we should, we should love 
the divine with all your heart, with all your soul, and all of your meudecha, all of your abilities. Uh, and I think that one, one thing that line is saying, we should love uh, with all parts of ourselves. And usually we think just some parts of ourselves want to serve Hashem or are actually good and worthwhile. But actually we're being taught, no, all parts do. It's just a matter of clarification. It says in, in the Gemara, I think in Brachot, Mechol mida umida shu modeid lecha have for every single measure which is meted, which he meets out to you, be very thankful. Dushat Levi says, receive with openness and simcha, benachat simcha. For me, the, the past few weeks or past couple months, the practice of that has just been both in informal practice and uh, on my ways, has just been saying, yes, thank you, yes, thank you, yes, thank you, to whatever is arising in my experience or in my body. And I think as we move along that path of clarification, of learning that... Yes, thank you. It's okay. No, it's so not okay. It was me who was beeping all the time and I didn't realize. I turned it off. So. Could we just use that as an example, Rina? Right use it for whatever you want. Make so it like, work. I guess what I hear you saying is you're upset because your phone was ringing and you are uh, disappointed you that... Yeah. And you wanted it to be like more quiet and more peaceful? I expected it to be more quiet and more peaceful. Because I told it what to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it has a mind of its own. Yes, thank you. I think that's you know, it's an example. It's it's very it's totally appropriate to feel disappointed when that happens. And in the heart of that disappointment is uh, is care and is benevolence and is desire for things to be good. And it doesn't mean that we need to deny the disappointment. But contacting that goodness, which is in its heart, which is in your heart, which is what you really want underneath that, I think it can be so uh, empowering. And as we do that, so whatever comes up in us comes up as ever greater uh, fuel on the fire of our compassion and, and benevolence in the world. And as we walk along that path and practice it and become ever more skillful as we learn to, to 
to really feel and to really know and to really be charged by that underneath goodness, then evermore we become vessels for the divine in the world and for other people to, uh, to make other people feel God's presence in, in their lives. I think we'll just end with that, that invitation to, uh, to be open to how we can make the presence of the divine felt in other people's lives by really connecting to our, our inherent benevolence and desire for good. Vinomal? Vinomal?